Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! The Cleveland Browns were trying to be the perfect hosts. They put out their finest linens, polished the silverware, sat the Steelers down to a scrumptious banquet where they could feast to their heart's content. The Steelers, however, gracious guests that they were, would have none of it. On a rain-soaked afternoon, in the only stadium outside of Pittsburgh where Ben Roethlisberger is the number one winning quarterback, the Steelers graciously handed the Browns their first non-loss in 624 days, achieving a 21-21 tie. I'd like to say that the Browns took advantage of six Steeler turnovers, but they did not. They took advantage of just one turnover, but managed to overcome a 14-point deficit in fourth quarter. Welcome to your Steelers Outpost podcast, September 10th, 2018, episode 55. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. I have chills running down every fiber of my body from that introduction as depressing as it was real football is here ladies and gentlemen and boy is it ugly that was unenjoyable from start to finish yesterday but it's here and we're gonna break it down and uh you know if you guys are anything like me uh you you know probably experienced legitimate medical problems and you questioned your priorities as a human being yesterday, as your heart palpitations didn't settle down till normal um, until maybe 30 minutes ago. And now that we're talking about it again, I feel my heart uh, ready to burst out of its cage because that was so frustrating. But we broke down the game today. We looked at it again. And I got to say, when you don't have the pressure of wondering whether the Steelers are going to win or lose, you're able to look at it in a little bit of a different light. And I got to say, the game was bad and the people who you thought played poorly they did but this really was a game that the Steelers were in control of most of the time and I feel like it should have just ended up as a sloppy Steelers win and for most of the game that's what it looked like it was going to be and then the wheels came off in the fourth quarter particularly with a pair of turnovers with uh within 56 seconds of each other and there's uh, you know, obviously a big bright spot seeing how James Conner filled in for the villainous Le'Veon Bell. But uh, James Conner taketh and James Conner giveth away. We'll get more into that uh, once we get into it. All right, Nick, why don't you do your breathing? 
bring yourself bring your heartbeat back down under 60 beats per minute. I have a okay. very special announcement. The Steelers Outpost podcast is thrilled to announce that we have joined the Armchair All-Americans. This is a podcast network dedicated to giving local coverage, hyper-localized coverage. We want to get personal stories, people who know the stories. If anybody's paying attention, you can tell that the national personalities have no idea about what's going on. They read headlines and they don't know the subtleties of the Le'Veon story, for instance. So the Armchair All-Americans started out with a couple of guys out of the University of Georgia covering all the SEC football teams, and now they're moving to the NFL. And we, the Steelers Outpost Podcast, are the exclusive podcast providers for the Pittsburgh Steelers football team. So it's pretty exciting, guys. There's a lot of opportunities that are going to come about um, with this partnership with Armchair All-Americans, and you guys are going to get to reap the benefits. We're going to be collaborating with our colleagues who are covering some of the other teams. I think that there's about 10, 10 to 12 po- uh, football teams in the NFL that currently have podcasts. Obviously, the best one is now accounted for with the Pittsburgh Steelers and your humble hosts trying to do justice to the greatest football team to ever football. But hopefully, you know, they're going to be getting um, all the teams in the league are going to have a podcast. And with uh, with any anybody who has one currently, if the Steelers are playing them, we're going to get hopefully some collaborations with uh, I don't know if the, the Chiefs have one or not or particularly I know the Ravens are working on one, but we'll be able to bring like hosts from other podcasts so we can really better understand the matchups and the subtleties and intricacies of the other teams so that we can better analyze what's going on with the Steelers. So apropos of what you were saying before the announcement, Nick, you know, I don't know what to do with a tie. I know what to do with a win. I know what to do with a loss. Mm. I just don't know what to do with a tie. Oh, it's I a know loss. what Cam Hayward said. I know what Cam Hayward said. It's it was it was a loss, but when TJ Watt blocked that final field goal, there was a certain fluttering of the heart, a certain joy that emerged from that play. Well, I did not see that play because after the last fumble of the game, I drove away from the house that I was watching it at. But there is a slight flutter. I think that was due to the fact that at least we don't have to admit that the Browns beat us. And to me, that's the only victory. But otherwise, I mean, a tie is a loss. I mean, a tie to the Browns is like two losses. Might as well be. But in terms of the standings, I mean, we're 0.5 games behind Baltimore and Cincinnati now. So you've kind of dug yourself into a hole, you know, unless they tie somewhere along the line, which isn't going to happen. Um, then then maybe you get into something weird there. But it was a loss. Um no, no ways around it. So we're going to take you through the game a little bit here. Uh, we're going to start a little bit high level. Um, I'm sure a lot of you saw it. I know some of you didn't get the chance to see it. So we will try and give things in a slightly chronological order. But we, like I said before, I mean, the Steelers had this game in control. We're up 21 to 7 in the fourth quarter, right? And so here's the first thing I think about this game. Number one, Tomlin and Ben, their record on the road for 1 p.m. kickoff games is now 21, 18, and 1. So can we honestly say that any of us are surprised on this outcome? I mean, they do it every year. Like I said, when I rewatched this game, it should have been a replay of last year. You remember that the game, the, the season opened up against Cleveland last year. Le'Veon was extremely underwhelming. It took just an Antonio Brown miracle catch to get us out of that game last year. And it was ugly, but we got the win. That's what I felt like it should have been this time around. 
because it was there were turnovers galore, but a lot of them kind of happened at the end of the game. And when you rewatch it, it's like, how did they drop 21 to seven at the end of the game? So this isn't an excuse. This is a fact. This is a first game. The Steelers seem to show a lot of rust, as every team does. But that rain also had a major effect on passing and catching, and including the key fumble of the game from James Conner. Totally, it did. And as and you don't make an excuse in terms of like that's the only reason why we lost. But it's like we were tweeting out before this game. Rain is sort of the compressor of football, if you will. It it kind of brings the bad teams and the good teams in towards the middle and adds this slop element and this luck element where you can get the ball to roll a certain way. So I guess what we're trying to say there is like, listen, I don't think the sky is falling here. And were they bad? Yeah. Was Ben bad? He was definitely bad. But you're right. I mean, the weather did play a part of this. We're not making an excuse, but we're trying to tell it like it is. Um, I don't I think that there's going to be a lot of questions for this football team, as there always is, but I expect them to bounce back in a big way at home next week against a video game-like Chiefs offense and a uh, peewee-like Chiefs defense. So there's some things to look at going forward as far as that goes. Well, speaking of bad, I uh, thought the Browns were badder than I thought they were going to be. They have a reconstituted team. They have seven new players on offense Five new on defense. And, of course, Tyrod Taylor is not something to be uh, worried about. But they did have some some big names that have joined the team. But that didn't really show up. Yeah, that's why this is even more miserable because this Cleveland team sucks. And they might be good by the end of the year because they have so much talent. It would be hard for them not to be good. I mean, like you said with Tyrod Taylor, I they're – any every other team is starting their rookie quarterback right baker mayfield is better than tyrod taylor and if it were any other team i would say the cleveland browns don't have any excuse to have tyrod taylor starting over baker mayfield but given their history of ruining first round quarterback picks i kind of get where they're coming from and they don't need to be in a rush but if tyrod plays the way he did against us the rest of the season baker will be in there and this is so frustrating because for all the hype about cleveland This was the same crappy Cleveland team from last year. The only difference is they have maybe the best defensive player in the league now in a like potential realized Miles Garrett, who absolutely wrecked the game, forced two fumbles, had multiple tackles for a loss, and just generally destroyed the Steelers. Well, let's move on to Ben. Let's move on to some specifics. He, uh, taking a look at last year, he was a little shaky starting out of the gate. Uh, He was even worse yesterday and the question that i had is who who was the progenitor of those interceptions were that was it ab running a route that uh, running the wrong route was it i mean clearly been re- responsible for a couple of those picks not all of them yeah jesse so james handed one over as a matter is uh point in fact he he literally handed it over so the big thing of the game everybody we all know it is the offense had six freaking turnovers. I can't – I mean, he threw the five picks against Jacksonville last year. And honestly, this was kind of similar where it's like here's a backhanded compliment. It actually wasn't the worst game I've ever seen him play. And that's only because we've seen him play some pretty bad ones. Granted, he is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football, and we are the Ben Roethlisberger podcast. But he – the, the the interceptions were, were not all his fault, so the stat line did look a little bit worse. What did he have? Three interceptions and two fumbles, right? So I did take a look at all of those different uh, – at the turnovers, 
And if I pull it up right over here, I took a couple notes on them. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of tell you why they happened. But at the end of the day, Ben Ben was bad, man. I mean, he wasn't horrific, but he was bad. He was generally inaccurate. He missed a bunch of throws. Honestly, AB was beating his guy all day long. He missed them on the first uh, third down of the game, the third play of the game. AB had a slant, and he could have taken that thing just as long as Juju Smith-Schuster took that 67-yard slant later because Greg Williams, for the, the, the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns, fancies himself some sort of football Picasso with his blitzing schemes, and uh, they caused havoc for us, but they also leave a lot of – uh, openings in the secondary. And Ben wasn't able to take advantage of those because he was just generally inaccurate. Um, he also held the ball way too long. It's kind of that old school complaint of Ben that Todd Haley helped to fix a little bit. And this is where I have a problem with the feet master calling the plays. A lot of five and seven step drops. Ben was holding it too long. Uh, also later in the game, Ben just wasn't clutch. We got the ball back with 158 left, and he threw incompletions. We got the ball back in overtime, and he wasn't able to get it done. But, okay, so that's kind of the the high-level look at Ben. Let's talk about the turnovers that he had. If you look at him, the first turnover was the worst one, in my opinion. That's where the Steelers were driving into the Cleveland Browns red zone, uh, driving pretty easily on that defense, and Ben had A.B. and I think Switzer, over to his right side and they were running a little combination route and this harkened back to the issues of ben early last season ben locks in on ab and sometimes if ab isn't open he kind of shuffles around until ab gets sort of open and that's what he tried to do here and he threw it and didn't even see the cornerback their first round pick who is it um geez just total mind blank right here the dude from ohio state denzel ward not to be confused with the actor, Denzel Washington. Um, so anyways, that one was horrific. He just locked onto AB, didn't want to read the field, and threw it into a crowd of four people. That one was brutal. I have so nothing to say about that. I agree. And yeah. we, don't forget, Denzel Ward, Denzel James Washington. Denzel James Whoa. If we could combine them, you'd have a pretty good guy. Um, anyways, well, now since we... We have to keep it real with you guys. So if Ben does something wrong, we got to tell you. But since we are the Ben Roethlisberger podcast, I'll follow this up by said he threw some beautiful spirals out there. And damn, was his touchdown pass to AB next level. When they when they hooked up for that touchdown pass on, what was it, second and goal from the 22-yard line, gorgeous throw to the outside shoulder. Denzel Washington Ward actually had excellent cover uh, coverage on him. But AB is a 99 in Madden. So he made uh, easy work of that guy. And that's pretty much why the Steelers are better than the Browns roster wise. Roster wise, they're closer than you would think. But we got Ben and AB and we rely on Ben to do a lot of great stuff and he didn't do it. So that's yeah, why we lost. It sounds like Cleveland might match up on paper, but they're not anywhere near us. And we've heard some things from no. the uh, hearsay about the coaching uh, discipline or lack thereof, because it sounds like Haley's the. I keep hearing that Haley's the adult in the locker room there. Oh, geez. it sounds like said punishment is doled out by denying pizza to the offensive line if if something isn't done. I mean, it's he's two losses away from another DUI. Has yeah. he ever got one? He's <laughs> he's due. I'll tell you that much. He got in a little incident at 
the tequila cowboy outside Heinz Field last night. Every team he goes to, there's some sort of drunken scandal that involves his wife getting into a bar fight. So I think that's all you need to say about Todd Haley. Todd Haley. Okay, so that's the first turnover. And then we followed out with a positive, which was an absolutely gorgeous, sublime touchdown pass to the best receiver in the league from the best quarterback who's ever played. Um, all right. Okay, guys, let's be honest. The best quarterback who ever played is Aaron Rodgers, who absolutely astounded on one leg last night. But besides him, it's Ben. Okay, number two, interception number two, was a gorgeous punt by Ben, where he just chucked it long to A.B. He thought A.B. was going to run a skinny post. Well, A.B. ran a flat post, which means he, Antonio Brown, instead of angling his route towards the middle of the field goal post in the other end zone, you kind of flatten it out and aim towards the sideline. That was a miscommunication. That could, that really comes down to both of them, right? Uh, interception number three, he threw it to Jesse's hands. It went right in between his hands and right to the opposition. That's obviously 100% on Jesse James. It was a fine throw, hit him in the hands. Um, number four, turnover number four was James Conner's fumble. We will get into that later because I have a few things to say about James Conner that you guys may not be happy about. Granted, he was freaking fantastic for most of the game. Uh, inter- uh, turnover number five. This was a bunch of crap. This was the Miles Garrett force fumble. So this was a weird play. Marquise Pouncey, best center to ever play the game. What do you guys think about that besides Dermani Dawson? Um, and Mike Webster. All right, I got to stop doing that. Let's talk about the game, Nick. Reel it in. So Pouncey had a low snap, very crappy. Um, ben had to pick up it, pick it up off of his shoelace. And basically it was like an RPO type situation. So instead of the offensive line just pass blocking, they got a little bit cute with it, I guess with the assumption that on those RPOs, Ben is either handing it or throwing it within like a second and a half. But the low snap made it take too much time. And so Alejandro Villanueva was tasked with the unenviable um, task of blocking Miles Garrett, which he did not have a lot of success with doing all game. But instead of blocking him on that play, he kind of uh, blocked to the inside to simulate a run play. And David DeCastro, the right guard, pulled and he was supposed to block Miles Garrett on that play. He did not get close he didn't even get a finger on miles garrett so after pouncey slapped snapped the ball low ben picked it up off the ground and stood up to the best defensive player in the entire league already in his face and he made him fumble there so that's kind of how you go through that one and then the last turnover was the fumble later and this was another example of where an offensive lineman gilbert basically the defensive end basically ran around him untouched gilbert tagged him for a second but it was a long developing route, but he just whiffed. It was That was a bad sack that he gave up, and he didn't give Ben enough time to get it downfield. So should Ben have gotten rid of the ball in those two fumbles a little bit earlier? Yeah, you'd like to see that. But honestly, it wasn't like he was just throwing the ball to the other team all game long. Okay, good recap of the turnovers. Made me feel worse with each passing analysis. Let's go into the coaching a little bit. I don't have any uh, Mike Tomlinisms, but let's look at the – the feet master, the Jimmy Houston of football. I don't know if you know Jimmy Houston. I've just discovered him on the History Channel. He has a great hunting show. I've learned elk hunting, pheasant hunting. Jimmy Houston is Randy Feetner without without the football. Anyway. Without like, is he like fit or is he just sort of? No, no. He has he has Good. a gorgeous blonde 
colored his uh, dyed blonde bangs hanging over his eyes, but he's usually Jeez. masked in camouflage, so you don't actually have to look at his face. Well, it's hard Let to see say, those guys. I think one of the other one of the other themes of the game, which is something that has irritated me over the years, I, I wish there was a better way to express this, but the playing not to lose. How much time yeah. is left in the game? Ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, Almost up by two touchdowns. 10. And just in ball protection, it's like a basketball game where you're up by 10 and you're just trying to hold the ball. And we're running, it looked like um, like Randy just pulled out the old playbook, started running the yeah. ball, and clearly Cleveland understood what was going to happen, and they stopped Connor at every move. Yeah, that was my big problem with the Feet Master this game. I said in my notes here that he gets a failing grade for his first game. And I still believe that because I think that you can have a great game and then you can make one or two big blunders that cost your team the game when you're supposed to seal it. And that's just below the line for me. He did call a good game most of the time. But then when you're only up by 14, it's a two-score game. There's about 10 minutes left in the game and he's going to jumbo formations and clearly trying he took his foot off the gas pedal and to me you need to make it a three score game obviously everyone anyone can come back at any point but a three score game with that amount of time left that's that's tough you know somebody could get a fluke turnover even if it's two score game and we saw that's literally what happened so that was my biggest problem with him he tried to run. The, that's just such a dumb move. Whenever we see anybody doing that, you need a little bit more of a lead to make another team try and beat you that way. And he tried to run the ball out. And, and not only did that result in giving Cleveland extra drives, it just made our offense extra predictable. And he didn't set James Conner up to have a successful second half after such a dominant first half. And he didn't set the linemen up because he basically – put in all these jumbo formations and told the Cleveland Browns, we're running it straight. We don't want to fumble. And that to me is, is kind of his undoing. So he called an okay game, but he got way too conservative at the end and left room for error. And that's one of the big reasons why we lost the game. So let's move moving on to receptions. Uh, we're going to mention James Conner, uh, but I do want to say that James, uh, the, the beef on James is he couldn't block and he couldn't catch. He had five receptions for 57 yards. Let's say that. Uh, Antonio Brown had a very quiet 93 yards. I mean, the touchdown, spectacular touchdown, but he did have 93 yards. I'm not sure anybody would realize that, unless they were looking at the stats. Juju, five receptions, 119 yards. Yeah, with the long is 67. That helps that a lot. But what, the other ones were like 20 yards each. He had the long fade. He had another long crosser. Juju was awesome. You know what, A.B., it did seem quiet at first. It was odd because usually he dominates in the first game of the season. You remember last year against the Browns? Remember that game against the Redskins? Even against the Patriots, he tore up Malcolm Butler after he was a Super Bowl hero. So it was weird, but man, A.B.'s, you know, his his off game is still nine catches for 93 yards and a tutty, but Ben missed him all day. They yeah, were, he had 16, 16 targets, nine receptions. Oh, man. Definitely was under, open. under the line. There were especially that slant early, and then there was that fade route on third down or second down or something like that later in the game. Ben missed A.B. No, Denzel Ward had a couple of nice plays where he did cover him, but, man, he that's another reason why Ben's not going to get a good grade in our grading segment. So besides that, nobody else caught the ball. Justin Hunter had one catch. I'm not going to count that because of just thinking. They need to get Justin Hunter off the field. This is what we said in training camp that we hope that we never have to see this guy in the field. And you saw the reason why he's just, 
He's just nothing. I hope that the reason why James Washington isn't on the field yet is because of that abdomen injury, and hopefully he feels better. Obviously, he got a few snaps, but we need to get him up to speed. And we said in the preseason, the Martavis release, granted now he's going to be suspended for the year, so maybe it was okay. But, you know, James Washington, you're not going to be able to expect him to be a beast from day one. It even took Juju a couple weeks. So we do need Washington because A.B., and, and uh, Juju were great, but we need some contributions from the other wide receivers. Well, just to mention that the, the gunslinger, Jesse James, did have three receptions for 60 yards. And he had an interception that he threw. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Let's move to Jimmy Connor. James so, Connor is the real deal. He is. He could yeah. be, he is, could be, and is a starting NFL running back. We said it all preseason. Whenever we saw him run the ball last year, what was he averaging like seven yards a carry last year? We knew that was a small sample size. And maybe since he is literally the antithesis of Le'Veon Bell when it comes to running style, where Le'Veon is is basically dancing the nutcracker out there, swishing and swooshing all around, James Conner just launches himself out of a rocket ship launcher. <laughs> at the defense and just speeds right through them. Well and so maybe, maybe some of his success last year was due to that. Well, no. We saw that he dominated in training camp. We saw him dominate in the preseason. We saw him improve his catching, uh, like you mentioned earlier. He had a nice one-handed catch in the preseason that particularly showed me, like, okay, this guy's comfortable catching the ball now. Had another one-handed catch. He dominated. He was amazing. He played fantastic. Listen, there is no replacing Le'Veon Bell. But, man, he looks like he might – he'll do even better than uh, D'Angelo Williams did that one season. And, honestly, we expected this. We saw that he was doing this in the preseason. And, you know, it's not an exact one-to-one prediction. But he did an awesome job. And uh, he was able to catch the ball. He even was decent blocking. And he was great running the ball. Now, here's the part that nobody's going to want to hear. James Conner lost the game for the Steelers. I know – that sounds crazy with how bad Ben played with some of the very ill-timed mistakes that the offensive line made with the feet master calling seven-step drops when Ben was having no time. Everybody played a loss in this. And football is the ultimate team game, so you really don't know. It's like, hey, what if somebody made a play earlier in the game? That has just as much of effect as, let's say, James Conner's fumble in the, in the fourth quarter, which is more visible as, you know? But I got to say this. Man... That fumble was easily the biggest play in the game because it gave a touchdown directly to the Browns. The Browns only had two drives the entire game that were legitimate, where they went and they scored touchdowns. Tyrod Taylor was 15 for 40. So with the Steelers there, they didn't even make Tyrod Taylor have to go make a drive there. You gave them the points. And with the time that was left in the game, when did he fumble? It was like eight minutes left. They're still up by 14. You give them a free touchdown. Part of a running back's job is to carry the team throughout the game, and then it's to close out the game. Ball security is paramount. If he hadn't done that, I think it's 99% that the Steelers would have won the game. So let's move on to the offensive line. It looked like they were. It looked like they were opening up big holes for Connor in the first half. I mean, he he did he, he did it on he did some of this on his own, but the offensive line had good push, opening things up. 
but it looked like they got tired over the course of the game because you know, the second half, Connor was not breaking off anything big. Yeah, I mean, like you said earlier in, in the analysis, the first half, it was sloppy, but the Steelers were in control. I guess they went up 7-0 and then shortly went up. Uh, and then I guess Tyrod Taylor scored early in the second half, and then the Steelers kind of took control of it later. But um, they did seem to lose a little steam, but I think that's a little bit more because the feet master got conservative, and he just started calling obvious run plays, and he just refused to come up with some creative short quick hitters for Ben and kept calling those long seven step drops and five step drops. And I feel like, yeah, they could have done a better job. And those two turnovers were pretty nasty with those linemen missing those blocks. But honestly, the feet master wasn't putting them in a good position. And it's kind of unacceptable that, you know, we have the same type of fumble happen to the quarterback multiple times. It's like, dude, you got to You got to adjust a little bit. And so I do feel like they did well. And you're absolutely right. They were. They were parting the Red Sea in the first half for James Conner. Dominant run blocking. So let's move on the defense where I spent most of my time. It's interesting that there was a tale of two halves. In the first half, Cleveland was rushing for 3.7 yards per carry. Second Mm. half was 6.6. The only good thing that uh, Tyrod Taylor did was to run the ball. He was the leading rusher for Cleveland with 77 yards. Carlos Hyde was next with 62 in the second half, this is where the Browns were tearing off big plays on the ground. They had seven runs of over 10 yards. Tyra, Tyrod Taylor accounted for no fewer than four of those. He had runs of 20, 24, 17, four touchdown, and 11 yards. So that's where I thought the defense, even though the time of possession was basically even, they looked like they were just on the field too long and having to... Um, trying to contain, where they had contained the Browns all game. The Russian game sort of emerged in the second half. The other thing I noticed was the average start for the Pittsburgh Steelers on offense was the 23-yard line. Cleveland's average start was at the 32. Granted, there were, there were the fumble on the one-yard line definitely helped that average, but there were three series in the right. fourth quarter that, was, that started in Steeler territory, some of this attributable to the Aussie. To the Aussie, oh the Aussie. John Barry. I was thinking Black Sabbath. We're we're talking ACDC on that that one. ACDC. I rock, do not like to get rid of players I like, but Jordan Barry is his not job's helping. not safe. It's, yeah, no, he had that punter competition with Wiley or whatever, who now plays for Minnesota. Um, he had that competition within the summer, and we have seen the Steelers switch punters and kickers during the season before, and he was miserable. And you see how crucial special teams are. We'll get into more detail about that later. But to address what you were saying about the Cleveland Browns kind of running all over us in the second half, it was sort of a short-lived thing. I don't know why, but I do believe Aditi Kinkabala said that Cam Hayward was out for that drive when uh, they had one of the two drives I was referring to in which they actually went down the field. One of those drives was seven straight run plays that ended in that 17-yard Tyrod Taylor scramble. Uh, and Cam was out on, on that drive, apparently. And then uh, he came back in, and they weren't really able to replicate that success. So that kind of tells you a lot about the depth we have, right? And obviously, well, maybe he was Ryan tired sh- from making every, making every tackle. Uh, it could be tiring. I'd imagine that would be tiring. I don't know. But I've never done it before. But I actually thought, you know, between uh, Alou Alou and even Danny McCullers was out there, I, I thought the, the, the front line was stout and, and did their job. Yeah. 
They were solid. I thought. I mean, I thought that obviously Hayward I, picked up where he left off last year, and I like. I really liked what Tuit did. He was getting pushed. The defensive linemen were good. Well, and we'll that's what little, we expect out of them. We'll give a little bit more detail when we go through the grades. Why don't we move on to another bright spot, TJ Watt? Yeah, so we took a while to get into him here. He had a monster stat line. It's kind of his annual tradition, right? Right? To just rack up stats in the first game against the Browns. Last year, he had, I believe, two sacks and an interception. And this year, he single-handedly made sure that we did not lose to the Browns by blocking that field goal at the end, which, by yeah. the way, was beastly. I mean, that wasn't a lucky thing. He just he just summoned the will of Christ and just burst through that line like it was the last thing he would ever do in his life. And he swatted that thing down. Swatted it. Like Andre Iguodala swatted LeBron James in the finals. Eat that, Cleveland. How you like that? Uh, Remember when you lost that's... those finals? <laughs> How you like that? Oh, yeah, TJ Watt. Gotcha. Do you want to do your breathing? Do your breathing. Nah, it feels good. Okay. TJ Watt... Some some incredible statistics. He had eleven. Uh, let's say Vince Williams had the most tackles with twelve. T.J. Watt followed with eleven. Jeez. Four sacks, five and a half tackles for loss, and he hit Tyrod Taylor four separate times. By the way, I watched every one of those plays on defense when he mm-hmm. wasn't marking one of those stats. I mean, T.J. Watt's motor never stops. Yeah. I've got to I've got to talk about Bud a little bit here because Bud. Bud still does the question mark rush. He just goes far enough to the rear of the quarterback not to even get into the play. He, he has more moves than that. I, I did notice that. But, I don't know about um, that. No, nah, he, he does try to go inside, but he was absolutely swallowed by the DN. He was swallowed. He, he looked like a little – as athletic as he is, he was getting – he was just getting stopped. And when he, didn't go, when he didn't go up top, he was just stopped in front of a very large 375-pound, 6'6 man – um, what was interesting about him in the fourth quarter with at third and 10, he had a shot on Tyrod Taylor. He ran unblocked at him and he, yeah. and Tyrod got around him for a 24 yards and, and got them a first down two plays later, same situation. And you know, this was in Bud's head. He got up to Tyrod. He stutter stepped because he knew Tyrod was going to go wide and he slowed down before he reached Taylor and Tyler ran around the edge again. So I, I don't know. With all that athleticism I keep hearing about, he's not doing the job. Yeah, so those are just the plays we expect him to make. We told you guys before, don't expect a breakout from Bud Dupree. By the way, that six foot five offensive lineman you were talking about was an undrafted rookie free agent who is starting for the first time ever. So no, that, first round no, pick. He definitely was, he was definitely on um, Bud. He also was. So there were there were times he was just on the offense on the tackle. Sorry for the stuttering. Right. So I, tackle, I watched him in a variety. The tackle is undrafted rookie. Oh, I thought you were talking about the sorry the tight end. Never mind. No, I forgot what the tackle's name is. But he's a guy who's never played in the NFL, wasn't even so drafted, and never started a game. Yeah, it makes it yeah. much worse. But with those things with Bud, we told you before, don't expect him to become a great pass rusher. I mean, at best case scenario, you can hope that he's going to be an average player who occasionally makes some great hustle plays and they can scheme him into making sacks. But he's not a real first. And that's the difference between him and T.J. Watt. They're both cut from the same cloth. They're super athletic. They got crazy motors. And part of the reason why Pittsburgh picked them is because apparently we like to put our defensive or our outside linebackers who are really, you know, our edge rushers. We like to put them in coverage a lot over 30 percent of the time. And those guys are fast enough to do that. But with Bud, it's like, listen, man, I don't expect you to 
go in there and beat your guy all the time. But at least when you're going one-on-one with the quarterback, which is tough because Tyrod's a good scrambler and he's very fast. But it's like, man, at least do that. You got your athleticism. So he was a little bit below the line. But going back to TJ Watt, his stat line was insane. And he did play really well. Um, it was a little bit inflated, kind of like it was before. Like two of the sacks were actually quarterback runs where he kind of stopped him a couple inches behind the line of scrimmage. And then he beat a tight end. Uh, they, they tried to put Darren Fells, I believe, is the tight end. If I'm wrong, people are going to be screaming at me. But uh, Darren, uh, the tight end trying to block TJ Watt, and he made mince meat out of him and crushed Tyrod Taylor. You can say, hey, that's a tight end blocking him, but I would respond by saying, good, he should eat him up. And that's what the first round pick did. And then TJ's best play besides the field goal block to me was when they tried to double team him with like the back and the tackle. And they kind of stonewalled him at first, but he powered through that contact and got through both of those guys to stack Tyrod Taylor. And that to me is progression from last year because he wasn't that physical last year, and that was a dominant play and really encouraging for T.J. Watt, along with James Conner, a really big bright spot for the team. So in light of Tyroid, Tyroid Taylor's Tyroid. Ab, Tyroid, typhoid, typhoid Taylor's absolute futility, the Steelers' defensive secondary were actually on a strategic planning retreat because they really didn't need to be out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. We haven't really talked about the defense at a high level this game because, honestly, there wasn't that much to talk about. They did play well, but, man, this was a repeat of last year when the Steelers opened the season against a bunch of horrific quarterbacks. Deshaun Kaiser, Case Keenum in his first start for the Vikings, uh, Glennon, uh, Bortles, all kinds of guys where the Steelers worked their way up to this high ranking before getting, you know, put back down to earth by Matt Stafford and Tom Brady. So the secondary, uh, they did some good things though. As far as the corners go, they won some battles and they lost some, but they won more than they've won in past years. I thought that, uh, a couple guys made nice plays with the ball in the air, which is something that I wasn't even aware Steelers defensive backs were even allowed to do within the context of the Butler scheme. I thought that the plan was just let them score. Let's get the offense back on the field. Let's sell some damn tickets when he butts in seats. The more time A.B. is out there, the more jerseys we sell. Let him score. Let him score. But apparently the DBs didn't get the message because Hayden had a gorgeous pass breakup on Josh Gordon in the end zone. Sean Davis had that beautiful pass breakup on Njoku on on a very crucial third down late in the fourth quarter. Might have been overtime. It was very late in the game. And then I had another one in there, right? Cameron Sutton got that little interception. And uh, Terrell Edmonds on a third down. Uh, I don't know if it was in Joku or somebody else made a made a catch and he kind of knocked it out of his hands on third down. So that's a very that's what we're looking for. Again, we expected that out of training camp to see some guys make some more plays on the ball. By the way, a quick little note, Joe Hayden did go out with a hamstring. I saw on Twitter today that it, it's just a, a, it's a minor pull. So that's good news for us, but uh, he's not confirmed to play next week. We'll definitely want him back because he looked pretty good. Well, so they did get dinged for a couple of times. So in the second quarter with about 10 minutes to go, Jarvis Landry had a catch. Joe Hayden got completely turned around on this thing. It seemed like the ball must have been hung up there, and it was a fly ball. I have no idea what Joe did or what he saw from that standpoint, but Jarvis Landry did catch him. And let me also say, then Cam Sutton giveth, but Cam Sutton taketh away. 
he got burned twice in a row in overtime by Jarvis Landry. There was the uh, 30-yard, 38-yard mm. reception, followed right away by the 17-yard touchdown reception. Okay, wait. Those weren't those weren't uh, Jarvis Landry. That first one was 81. I forgot who that was. And the second one was Josh Gordon for the touchdown. Who yeah. made – and honestly, I thought that the first one they kind of got him – but the touchdown to Josh Gordon, he was all over him. Josh Gordon just made an insane catch. Tom Serena knocks that down eight out of ten times. But I will well. say it might not have been uh, total <laughs> redemption, but with 18 seconds left in the fourth quarter and Cleveland threatening, Cam did manage an interception. It was nice. And with 441 exactly in overtime, third and 11, there was yeah. a pass to Duke Johnson. Uh, Duke Johnson was rumbling towards the first down, and Cam shut that down. So I don't put any of this on Cam's shoulders, but there was yeah. a unevenness to the game. There was much better tackling from the corners. Um, silver Bullet, Mike Hilton made an appearance on a very nice tackle. By the way, it was nice to see the Silver Bullet in the game. It was a little quiet for him, but uh, he was injured in the preseason. Glad to see him out there. Yeah, him and Sutton had a nice open field tackle. So there's definite improvements from the Steelers' secondary um, especially from the corner position, because we have no idea what the safeties were doing because Tyrod Taylor actually can't physically throw the ball over six yards. And the funny thing about that long 33-yard catch that Jarvis Landry had on Joe Hayden, I think that was, was actually something the Browns should try and do more of, is just take advantage of how bad Tyrod Taylor is because that ball was not a back shoulder throw. It was just so horrifically underthrown. I think Jarvis Landry, having practiced with Tyrod Taylor, is used to just the gunshot style of passing that he had. It could it could go anywhere. And the Steelers defensive backs, they usually play against NFL quarterbacks, and they play against Ben. They think, like, oh, it's either going to be ahead of him. Oh, it's going to be a back shoulder. Oh, it's going to be a jump ball. No, nope, it's on the total opposite side of the field. So I feel like they sort of took advantage of that. And then luckily it worked in our favor when Cam Sutton had the interception uh, when Tyrod Taylor threw it right to him. But he did catch it, which is an improvement. So speaking of tackling, I watched for this. I thought the Steelers did a fine job of tackling. There, Of course, there were a couple of plays you better. could point to where they're missed tackling. That wasn't a problem this time. Let's talk about the inside linebackers. Yeah, I thought that they were a little bit – I thought they were up and down, but they definitely made – more positive plays than they made in the preseason. I thought they had some decent run stops. They definitely missed some tackles in the hole that you wish that they would have, particularly on that drive where we got thrashed and gashed seven times in a row on their way to an embarrassing Cleveland Browns touchdown. But one thing that they did pretty cool was um, I thought that they strung the play out really well, which is to say when the running back gets the handoff and tries to bounce it to the outside and tries to run kind of towards the sideline and just run around everybody like they think they're fast Willie Parker or something. Uh, even Vince Williams chased them down a couple times. Bostic did, and they cut off the angle for no gain or one yard, and that's something that obviously Ryan Shazier is unbelievable at that I thought we would never see again. Uh, Sean Spence, the poor bastard who ruined our season last year, horrific at that. So it was nice to see the Steelers uh, do a better job. So moving on to special teams, I think we have some some good news to report there. Ryan Switzer. Ryan Switzer actually looks like a guy who was trained to do this job, kick and punt returning. Yeah, an actual one instead of like, oh, Eli, I don't know. Somebody should back there. How about you? No, I would you. love to. Oh, oh, right, right. That, you understood, of course. Uh, Ryan Switzer was awesome. 
another big bright spot. If you put MVPs for this game, you got to say James Conner. I take that back. He, he was until he threw the game away. Uh, TJ Watt, Ryan Switzer, two whiteys on the MVP board. When's the last time you saw that? I don't think you'll ever see it again for the Steelers, but pretty good job from Switzer. He was shaking and baking all day, made a huge difference in field position, which the Australian Jordan Berry pretty much would negate with his just pile of crap that he sent out there on the field. But I digress. He was awesome. Barry was very bad. And Boz, man, that was the worst. You know, Boz, uh, not his best showing. All of his extra points were barely inside the crossbar. And then, of course, listen, Boz missed the game-winning field goal in the fourth quarter. And I didn't even think that was a sentence that we would ever say. Um, so it sucks. It was a 48-yard kick in pouring rain. The ball's – that's not a super high percentage kick. But listen, this is the Boz, man. Making low percentage kicks in the rain to win games, that's what he does. That's his middle name. Chris making kicks in inclement weather to win games, Boswell. That's his God-given name, and he did not live up to it. Or his giant contract that he just signed. So I feel like the timing was off for, for Bozzy. And he That's didn't unfortunate. The other good news is uh, Dirty Red is back into his natural position. No pressure to perform and drop back in coverage or cover some holes and go <laughs> laterally. He's just there covering punts and kickoffs, and he did a, a yeoman's job. He, had, he came up more times three. than not three tackles on his own on kickoff and punt coverage. He was, uh, he's a stud. He should be the AFC uh, special teams pro bowler this year. If he keeps it up, he actually even had a fourth tackle where the other guys, the uh, Cleveland Browns committed a penalty. The Steelers accepted it so they could re-kick. And all he did was go down there and make the tackle two plays in a row. He was awesome. It's beautiful to see a man work and it would be kind of a cool story to see if he could work his way to a pro bowl, which uh, to kind of, Make it feel better that, like, hey, you, I mean, you, we, we can't have you out there on defense. You understand, right, buddy? Like, you're good, but, you know, not have this guy. Yeah, we have some other right. guys. So happy to be back into a season where we can get into a rhythm on these podcasts. And as we did last year, we're going to offer the positional grades. We're going to go through more rapidly than we have in the past. I think we've done a pretty good job of extrapolating, if that's, the, that's probably not the right word of explaining ourselves. So we're going to go through position by position with our grades, and we're going to ask you to give us some feedback to see whether you agree or not. So, two, one. Offensive grades. Offensive grades. So let's start with the quarterback. Nicholas, what's your rating for Ben? Well, we used to have a sound drop for that, but Benny. We do have a sound oh drop Oh, my gosh. I don't. I feel like I, I might consider getting an intern for us, un, unpaid, obviously. But if I ever have to say anything bad about Ben, because sometimes if he doesn't play well, like, listen, we want to tell you like it is. So we're going to. But I don't like talking bad about him, even if he does bad. So I'm making an intern in here. Maybe my girlfriend will be the intern and she can, you know, give you the bad news. But since I haven't hired one yet, I got to give Ben a D plus. Man, we you know, this team is structured around the concept that Ben is going to make big throws. He was, he definitely had some good plays. I mean, his touchdown to AB was great and he moved the ball. He ended up getting over 300 yards passing and it wasn't like, it wasn't all garbage time stuff. He accumulated that yardage. 
Obviously, the big throw to Juju helped, but he definitely did some good things. But, man, he was just generally inaccurate. He missed, man, probably six or seven throws that should have been completions. Obviously, the interceptions, not all of them were his fault. But when you have three picks and two fumbles, there's something you're not doing right there. I will say a positive of the game. He did force a fumble when uh, James Conner fumbled it. Jabril Peppers um, returned it to the one-yard line. And Ben, perfect head-on helmet. That makes no sense. Head inside of helmet, connecting with ball. Punched that out of Jabril Peppers, and it actually bounced out of the back of the end zone, so he thought it was going to be a touchback, but it turns out his foot was uh, uh, touching out of bounds, and then he touched the ball. So it's like a weird technicality, so it was out of bounds. But Ben okay, did so force I'll- a fumble. Sorry. I'm going to move that from a D plus to a C minus because don't forget, Woo! Ben also had a 15 yard run and we did a quarterback sneak for the first time in 12 years. Yeah, it was beautiful. Which, that. During which you got a first down. Let's move to running back. You have rated James Conner a C Man. plus. C plus. I yeah. think you're, you so are downgrading him. for it, it was a horrific play, but it was only one play. I think you're being hard on him. I think that one play is is – enormous in football that one plays the difference between everything i mean if a b doesn't make that unbelievable catch we lose the game i mean i know that football you have to look at football in a smarter way than that um because any one play could be that play what if you know justin hunter didn't short arm uh, a fade pass that ben threw to him earlier in the game he could have scored you could say this is justin hunter's fault but honestly there are moments in football games where you can win and lose games and fumbling the ball in the fourth quarter when you're protecting a lead is already a cardinal sin for a running back. But fumbling the ball in that situation and in that way where you literally gave the Browns a touchdown, that is an enormous mistake. And I do think that it downgrades him from an A-plus to a C-plus. So there were 224 plays in the game. I can't bring him down two full grades because of one play. It was critical but it was also the responsibility of other people not to put us in that position. So B plus. Let's move on. We just disagree on Wait, that Wait, hold on, hold on. I'll settle for a B, but he's not going to B plus with a mistake like that. Sold. Moving on to wide receivers. Well, Sorry. we got Juju's, Juju. We got We got Juju. Juju. Five receptions, 119 yards. Antonio Brown, nine receptions for 93 yards. And the gunslinger, three receptions for 60. Yeah, so we uh, they are as advertised. And um, hopefully this year, I mean, it's nice to see he has Juju from the start, Benny, that is. Uh, last year, I think a lot of the early season offensive woes were due to Ben trying to work Martavis back into the offense and Martavis just not being able to do it. We might be going through some of that with this little – merry-go-round with James Washington and Justin Hunter, but it's nice to see two guys are already off to a huge start. There were a lot more big gains for those two guys to have, particularly A.B., and Ben missed them. So I'm going to give them an A. Moving on to tight end, I just did mention that the gunslinger had three receptions for 30 yards, but otherwise sort of invisible in this game. Yeah, it's kind of the gunslinger, the outlaw, Jesse James. That's the way he does it. And, it, you know, if you're a tight end and you throw an interception, you're getting a C-. minus. C-. Offensive line. Great blocking in the first half. James Conner taking full advantage of that. Second half, not so much. 
they also gave access to the quarterback, although it's a question about whether it was the offensive line play or where Ben was holding the line too long. Yeah, and like I said before, you know, the more I rewatched the game, the more I realized that the feet master kind of put them in some compromising situations. Listen, Miles Garrett legitimately might be a top five player in the NFL by the time this season's over. I mean, look what he did during the, the preseason, and he basically won that game for them. I mean, a, a, a tie for the Browns is a win, let's be real here. He was unbelievable. You can't just have Villanueva matched up with him one-on-one all game. Be realistic, right? So I think Feetner had some issues too. I downgraded them for my initial grade because I just think that they had those two massive blunders on those Ben Force fumbles, which are really more the fault of the offensive line. If you rewatch them, it's two defensive ends coming in untouched to get Ben. That's unacceptable. So I gave them a C plus, but you know what? Bearing in mind what you said about James Conner, where you got to consider the whole body of work, I'll give him a B. Moving on to so the, the captain, as it were, the offensive coordinator. Yeah, similar thing for him. I think he had good play, uh, play calling until the fourth quarter, but, man, he's supposed to be a, a kind of, you know, answer to Todd Haley. And where Todd Haley just sometimes loses his mind and gets cute in play calling scenarios – uh, the feet master kind of folded and his inability to stay aggressive when and not realize the damn score time and situation of the game was super disappointing. And his his inability to adjust the passing strategy were, were his downfall. I just think that he sent Ben on far too many long developing pass plays, which exposed him to that Cleveland Browns rush with their weird, weird, exotic blitz schemes so we're gonna give him a c minus and but be comfortable with the fact that i do think that he's the man for the job and he'll improve going forward agreed defensive line cam hayward was just a machine and he was uh, he was the terminator during this game and i i would have given i also could have given him the player of the game for at least on the defensive side he mm-hmm. into it i saw uh, alu alu I think the, uh, the defensive line did a, an incredible job. There was huge push. They were pushing guys back towards the quarterback and causing interference in the backfield. Is that Tomlin? That's Tomlin. Tell, tell him no. we're actually not even grading him today, so he doesn't have to worry about it. I'm just going to take the battery out of this phone. Can you please uh, go ahead with your analysis of the D-line? You would think that he'd be watching film right now, but uh, he knows the That's, real guys that he has to go to. Hence a tie with the Cleveland Browns. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's hard at work. Uh, yeah, that defensive line was great. Um, they got to stay great, and you really got to hope that Hayward and Tuitt stay healthy because you did see them get annihilated when he was out there. That, that I mean, it's happened two years in a row, whether it's Tuitt or Hayward or whatever, you know. Let's hope that those backup guys and McCullers keep improving and everything like that. But they definitely get an A in this performance. The inside linebackers, I think we, we said they were sort of up and down Bostic and Vince Williams, but they did account for, sorry, back in there, most of the most of the tackles. We give them a B. Yeah, fair. Outside linebackers, this is where you and I have a little bit of a disagreement because they're, we've got to average two guys. One guy right. who's playing way above the line and one guy who's playing way not up to his potential. Yeah, I mean, T.J. Watt, we've all pegged it. You know, every year when you look at a team, Maybe the main player you're looking at outside of the stars and the quarterback, 
hopefully those coincide with each other, right? Hopefully you got a star quarterback. Luckily, we have the greatest gunslinger to ever lace up the cleats. Let's grade the quarterback again. A plus. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, the guy that you look at the most is your first round pick from the year before. You give TJ Watt a pass in his rookie season where he did pretty well. So you expect him to take a big step up. And this first game, if it's any indication, he's taken that step up. He was awesome. He would get probably an A plus if it were just him out there. But it's not just him out there. It's the butter. It's the butterick. And the butterick is serviceable at best. But like I said, he got swallowed up. He still takes a long time to get to the quarterback, which gives the quarterback a long time to throw the ball. And um, I, you know, he makes plays. It's fine. Like I said, he's serviceable, but way below the line for first round pick. Yeah, well, guess what? TJ Watts saved us from te- from officially losing to the Browns even though we lost to them by tying them. So we're giving them a grade of A minus. A minus. So we looked at the safeties and we are giving them a grade of incomplete. I think Sean Davis did have several <laughs> tackles, but we couldn't Tyrod couldn't get the ball 6 yards oh, past Tyrod. the line of scrimmage. It was really oh, difficult to see them thyroid. getting involved. Yeah, I'm actually going to go ahead and give him an incomplete plus because I really loved that pass breakup on third down from Sean Davis where he uh, where he came over and almost intercepted it. Maybe should have intercepted it. I think it was a little bit out of his range. Would have been a crazy pick. But that was cool, man, because we don't know uh, if he can play free safety. They keep moving the poor guy around. He hasn't really succeeded at any of the positions yet. Now he's playing this one. But athletically speaking – we do think that Sean Davis has the range to play that free safety spot. He's going to get tested next week against the most bombs away offense we've seen in a long time, probably since the Ben and the and the non-suspended Martavis Bryant when uh, Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and those boys come to town. So we'll, we'll give them a real grade next week. But for this week, they get an incomplete plus. Nice. So going to the quarterbacks is sort of in the same category, Quarter. although they did get ex- – what did I say? Quarterbacks cornerback I was trying to enunciate so, so the cornerbacks didn't I thought they did an okay job I think you're going to grade them a little higher than I did I think they got exposed on a couple of plays especially the Joe Hayden and the Cam Sutton uh, foibles yeah I just think that I mean it's only it's, it's so hard to grade them because Tyrod Taylor is so bad and even the the foible by Joe Hayden I really think was just the product of Joe Hayden or uh thyroid taylor being so bad that hayden just could have never predicted where that ball was going but hey, you're gonna get beat sometimes but i think that they made more pass breakups than they uh had long balls caught on them and then the josh gordon touchdown i forgive that man that was an insane that was just a dominant job by him similar to what ab did to denzel washington ward in the corner uh of the end zone so i'm gonna give them a b Kicker, we're talking about uh, Boswell. That I, I have to give him. I won't give him a pass for it. I mean, that's something that uh, the five million dollar man should be able to make. But it was pouring. I think the snap was reportedly a little Why? low. Didn't look like it to me. But we're gonna guarantee him a C minus. C minus. And yeah, then we talk he was about barely squeaking. The, well, he was barely squeaking in those extra points too. I mean, yeah, a little nerve wracking over and over again. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit of an off hook. game for the boss man. He'll come back from it. All right, and then the man down under. He might be the man down under at the unemployment line if he keeps playing like this because he got a D. D. He was total crap. All right, hey, 
So as Nick mentioned at the beginning, this should have been a sloppy win. Uh, Cam Hayward and the Steeler Outpost podcast are counting as a loss. There were a lot of things to work on, but a lot of things, a lot of positives we could take away from this. And hopefully without the downpour, although there is a there's a tornado or hurricane coming our way. So hopefully it doesn't reach Mm. all the way to Pittsburgh. Is that Hurricane Pat Mahomes? Yeah, perhaps. Or or Josephine or something. Oh, Lawrence. Yeah. Gotcha. Lawrence. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't. And and for any any of our listeners who are out there, man, if they're giving you an evacuation warning, just go. I mean, I've lived in uh, in New Orleans and in Houston, and I was luckily out of town last year when Harvey hit. But, uh, you know, reports about those things were that it was we didn't expect Harvey was going to come. Right. And it was kind of the day before, you know, within a couple of days that they announced that that thing was going to be really serious. So just don't take any chances. Get out of there if you got to get out of there. And as far as the Chiefs go, there's no getting out of there because a hurricane's coming at you and it's named 84 seven because Ben and AB are about to put up six hundred yards on you boys next week. The sky is not falling, you guys. I do think that the 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 you know, the starters don't play together in the preseason. Ben is a chemistry quarterback and he needs some time to work up that chemistry. He's bad on the road. We hope that stops happening, but um, there's no real excuse for why they played crappy. But man, the weather and the first game, it's always a weird week. Uh, you know, those definitely played a factor. I think they're going to have a great bounce back and they're going to need to because you can't go to 0 and 2 or 0 1 and 1 in the AFC right away. So I think Tomlin will have them up for this one. This show has gone to its longest duration in 55 episodes. We've hit an hour. So we expect to double the audience because of this extra <laughs> content we're delivering to you. So, and, but seriously, we appreciate you listening. We do this each week for you guys. Actually, we do it for ourselves, too. Believe me, we're selfish. If you haven't subscribed, please do it. Tell a friend. Yeah. So we keep trying to make this show as informative and entertaining as possible. Please give us your feedback. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.